Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah, y'all sound good. You sound really good. Let's have a word of prayer and uh, we will dive right in. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place today. We thank you for the opportunity that we've already had, God, to come before you, to, to worship you and to lift you up in spirit and in truth. And Father, right now, we ask that you would use the rest of this time for your purposes as well. God, that you would move in our lives, in each of our lives, right where you know we need you. I ask, God, that you would speak through me this morning, that you would speak in spite of me. And God, that we would be different when we walk out of here than we were when we walked in because of what you do when we worship, when we come to you open and expectant. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. And everybody said, amen. Man, it is great, great to be with you in the house. Let me ask you to do me a favor real quick, if you would. Everybody pull out the program that you got when you came in today. I want to point out a couple of things as we're wrapping up the series, Life on Tap. In the next six, five days, six or five days, not 65, six or five days, five or six, we have a couple of huge opportunities for Life on Tap, one of which is today right after this service. You'll notice here is our membership class right after this service. It'll happen right here in this room. If you've been attending church here for four or five weeks or years and you have not yet joined and made it official, I want to personally invite you to our membership class. It is a great opportunity to understand kind of the, the broad picture of what church is supposed to be about in general, but also specifically what Lake Hills Church is all about as a particular expression of that broad picture. So if you want to find out what it means to be an active, dynamic member of an active, dynamic church, we would love to have you stick around for lunch today, right after this service, for our membership class. And then also, this coming Friday, October the 3rd, look at this right here, the Spur Leadership Luncheon. Spur Leadership is one of the ministries of our church, and we're hosting a luncheon this week for marketplace leaders, for in-the-home leaders, for on-campus leaders, wherever you are, Spur Leadership is all about making a difference in the world through the God-given gift of leadership. And this week, we have a luncheon that we're going to host at One World Theater just down the road from here. And our special guest is going to be Clint Bruce. Clint is a former Navy SEAL. He played college at Annapolis. He was a Naval Academy graduate, so he's kind of always been an underachiever, and he's kind of starting to come out of his shell a little bit. But he also owns his own business and is an entrepreneur and created the foundation Carry the Load that helps to educate and remind Americans what Memorial Day is really and truly all about. I want you to know, Clint Bruce gets it. He has a huge get it factor. And he will be our speaker at lunch this week. There are still a few seats available. And by a few, that's, I mean it sincerely. There are a few seats available. You can go online and register for that today, right after the service. It's going to be a great, great time. And that is a huge opportunity to share life on tap with people who maybe won't yet come to church on Sunday morning. This is a great opportunity to influence the people that you work with, maybe to bring a team of people, people you go to school with, people in your neighborhood that you work out with, whatever. That's the whole point. Everything that we do with mobile loaves and fishes is exactly why we do spur leadership. It's all about growing the community of Christ one life at a time. And I just wanted to kind of put that out there this morning as we begin. And since you have your programs out, you can go ahead and open it up. You need to write down the following statement. 
life on tap, is given to us in order to be given through us. Life on tap is given to us to be given through us. Another way of saying that is, it ain't just about me. I want you right now, with passion and enthusiasm, tell the person that you're sitting next to, it ain't just about me. Now, it's interesting to note who says that with enthusiasm and who kind of mumbles it because they still want it to be all about them. But don't name any names or raise your neighbor's hand for them. But the reality is, this idea that we've been looking at for the last few weeks as a church family is that God gives us life on tap, that it is there for the taking in a relationship with Jesus. That is a huge gift to us. But this weekend, as we wrap this series up and we go back to the scripture, you're going to see that it is not just about us, that it, Jesus's conversation with the woman at the well resulted in a profound transformation and a profound expression of the reality that she had experienced of life on tap. Now, just by way of review, if you're new here, this is your first weekend, this whole series, Life on Tap, springs, if you'll pardon the pun, out of a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at the well, in particular, one sentence in this conversation, John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus said to this woman who had come to the well just to draw water, she thought, he said, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus said, I've got something that will satisfy in a way that no water and nothing and no one else will ever satisfy. This idea of life on tap. And I think as we wrap this series up, I want to just kind of review very, very briefly where we've been throughout. Week number one, we kind of established the reality that life on tap, as Jesus gives it, life on tap is the life of the party. That, that if you want to really and truly experience real life, not just existence, not just a pulse and breathing in and breathing out oxygen, but life on tap begins in a relationship with Jesus. And that is the essence of life, that life on tap is the life of the party. The second week, you'll remember, we kind of took the story a little bit out of order. And we saw that life on tap flows out of spirit and truth. You remember the, the woman at the well kind of tried to redirect the conversation when Jesus got personal and talked about her personally, and she wanted to kind of talk about theological platitudes and, and philosophical realities and discuss things and have a cup of espresso with a black turtleneck on. And Jesus allowed the conversation to kind of go there for a minute, but he said the real essence of life is found in what or whom you worship, that we are worshiping creatures. That's just part of who we are, and we worship, and God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, that he's looking for people who worship with everything that they've got. People who, on Sunday morning, realize it ain't about just where they want to sit or what kind of music they want to hear, that it's about worshiping God and letting it fly. It's about being on time to church and not being a distraction to the people around us because this is corporate worship and we're worshiping in spirit and in truth 
together. But it's also about worshiping every minute of every day personally. That we take that time to be still and know that he is God. To worship him personally and privately throughout the week. To worship him in every relationship that we have. Everything that we do at work. To worship God in spirit and in truth. But then last week, we kind of got down into the nitty and the gritty. Remember what spurred that conversation last week was when Jesus asked the woman, he said, go and get your husband. And she said, well, I do not have a husband. And Jesus lasered in and he, he said to her, you've spoken the truth. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. I mean, he, he, he went to the real heart of the matter in her life because he knew that there was something inside of her. She was trying to satisfy. She was trying to quench a spiritual thirst with these relationships with men, one after the other, that would never, ever be able to satisfy like life on tap. And we saw that this life on tap fixes what's broken. That life on tap, whatever it may be in our lives, it may not be relationally, it may be professionally, it may be parentally, it may be personally. But whatever is broken in our lives, life on tap fixes that. But this week, as we said at the very beginning, it's not just about us. Life on tap is given to us to be given through us. And it's, it's fascinating because Jesus takes this conversation with this woman at the well and he says, I will give you that which you're looking for, that which will satisfy and quench the thirst. And again, the woman tries to deflect. She tries to distract the conversation. Look at what she says in verse 25 and 26. The woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Take, take, down, take, down, take, take, take that down. She can see it yet. They didn't know I was going to do that. That's my fault. But do you see what she's trying to do? She, Jesus is talking about her personally. He's saying, I will satisfy you. What will you do with me? Jesus is asking her in essence. And again, she tries to deflect it. She's like, well, you know, one day we'll understand. One day the Messiah will come. When he comes, he'll explain it all and everything will make sense then. It is, we don't have to really get into my life right now. Man, how many times have I done that? How many times have I sat and maybe listened to a sermon or had a friend point something out in my life and tried to deflect the conversation? You go, well, I, I, yeah, okay, I may have been not 100% right in that situation, but dot, dot, dot. Or to say, well, you know, that's interesting, but, you know, let's talk about Revelation. What do you think the seven seals actually mean in the book of Revelation? A lot of times we can use the things of God to distract us from God. Have you ever noticed that? It happens all the time. This woman at the well is trying to do it right here. She says, you know, one day the Messiah will get here. He, he will explain everything to us. But look at verse 26. Now you can bring it back up. Thank you. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You want to talk about a fork in the road moment. All of a sudden, there for this woman at the well, in a loving, loving way, there's nowhere to run 
and nowhere to hide. And that's when it gets good. Jesus said, I am the Messiah, Jesus said. He is the promised one. He is different. I know so many people, good friends of mine who live here in Austin and elsewhere, who will say, you know, Mac, I know you're a pastor, and I think Jesus is cool, but there were some other good teachers out there. And to be sure, there are. I, you know, some of the stuff that, some of the stuff, don't misunderstand this, but understand this. Some of the stuff that Buddha said was good. Some of it was good. I mean, some of it was good. But Jesus said he is the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is different. Jesus is a fork in the road. And at this point, it's not theoretical. It's not theological. It's not philosophical. It's not even historical. At this point, it's personal. He is the Messiah. It's like the moment that Jesus had with his disciples. It's recorded elsewhere for us in the Bible. He asked them one day, he said, you know, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street, you know? It's in the original Greek. And they were like, man, you're not going to believe this, Jesus. Some people say you're Elijah, back from the dead, John the Baptist. Some people say, la, 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 la. But then he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? He said he's the Messiah. So you cannot say he was a good teacher. A good teacher doesn't claim to be God if he's not. If he is God, then he's a whole lot more than just a good teacher. One way that you can remember this, we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. You've got three options. When somebody claims to be God, they are either the Lord, who they claim to be, they're a liar, a con man, or they're a lunatic. They're crazy. If, if, some, if I stood up here today and said, I just want you all to know, I'm God. Check me in somewhere. I need help. That, that's not healthy because I'm not. Believe me, my wife reminds me on a regular basis. It's part of her job, part of her charm. But when Jesus said, I am the Messiah, he's saying, I am different He's different. Now, it's interesting to me that at this point in the conversation, Jesus' disciples returned to the scene. They had gone into town. The, the well was out from the town. They had gone into town to get a sandwich. And they had gone in. It's in the original Greek also. They'd gone into town to get a sandwich. They come back, all 12 of them. They come back, and Jesus is having this conversation with a Samaritan, which was not done because he was Jewish. And with a woman, which was not done because he was a he. So you had this thing going on and the disciples were like, what's he doing? What is, what the, what's he doing? He's lost it. What's he doing? I'm going to come back to the disciples in just a second. But in verse 28, check this out. 
Verse 28, John chapter 4. The woman left her water jar. She left her water jar. Tell your neighbor, ask, she left her water jar? That's huge. That's huge. And some of you, I know you were mocking me right there, but that's okay. We'll move on. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. People came streaming from the village. This is what's fascinating to me. Jesus' disciples, the ones he had personally called, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Judas, follow me. Those that he had called by name did not yet get it. They knew, obviously, their relationship with him was special. It was different. But they still didn't get it. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well who was O for five in marriage, O for life, got it. She ran back to the town. But remember, I asked you to repeat, she left her water jar. That which she thought was going to satisfy her, she left behind. I wonder this morning, what is it that you're chasing? What is it that you're carrying with you, thinking it's going to satisfy you more than God? Set it down and leave it. Set it down and leave it. And then, look at what she did. She ran to tell everybody. Now, I don't think this is too much of a, of a leap of logic and reason or, or preaching. This woman was 0 for 5 in marriage, living with a guy that was not one of those original five in a very, very small town. How many of y'all grew up in a small town or a small city? You know everything that happens. Am I right or am I right? I mean, you know. Nobody talks about it, of course. Oh, we're fine, but you know. This woman goes back into this small little village where she lived and she says, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Don't you know that some of the men in her village were really curious? Don't you know that they're like, you know, they looked at each other like, hey, did she say everything she'd ever done? And so they were, they were drawn in by her come and see. They, they, were, they were curious about this one called Messiah that she was talking about. You see, that's part of our primary calling as the body of Christ. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are to be come and see people. We are to be people who run back into our villages, run back into our families, run back into our offices, run back into our schools and say, come and see, come and check this out. Come, come and experience something that, that I, I couldn't have even imagined. Come and see. That's why as a church, we practice a thing called tag team evangelism. Tag team. Tag your neighbor right now and tell them you're it. That was terrible. 
Tell them like you mean it. You're it. Here's the deal. We are a come and see church. We are a come and see church who worships a come and see God. Come and see. Come and taste and see that God is good. Matter of fact, I told you this weekend we're wrapping up Life on Tap. Next weekend we're kicking off a series that is so off the chain, we've never tried anything like this before. Tell you what, I'm going to tell you the whole story just real quickly. A few months ago, back before the summer even, I read a book that was a, it's a fairly new biography of Johnny Cash. How many Johnny Cash fans do we have in the house? Listen, if you're not raising your hand, you're in our prayers and that's okay. But you don't even have to like country music to like Cash. I mean, Cash was at the birth of rock and roll. I mean, he was there with Elvis and Jerry Lee and, and, and Carl Perkins. He, he was, listen, the Rolling Stones said Johnny Cash taught them more about rock and roll than Elvis. But I digress. So I read this book on Johnny Cash. And what's amazing about the life of Johnny Cash is that through all of this tumultuous ups and incredible downs, I mean, Grammy Awards, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Country Music Hall of Fame, divorce, addiction, estrangement from his children, all of those things, through it all, Cash never lost his faith. He kept coming back over and over and over again. It was his faith that drove him to record albums live at San Quentin. It was his faith that he kept coming back to, even though he was addicted to pills repeatedly throughout his life. And I thought, as I read the story of Johnny Cash, what an incredible lens through which to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what burdens, challenges, addictions, scars, wounds, victories, and celebrations you carried with you in through these doors today. But I know that the gospel transcends every single one of them. Every single one of them. And so real quickly, I, I want to just show you a, a video that we're going to put up on our social media that I want to ask you to use to invite people to come and see as we start this series next week, The Gospel According to Cash. Check this out. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep things out for the time that fine because you're mine I walk the line oh I'm telling you this is going to be so awesome for people who've never walked in the doors of church yet yet and you know why they're going to come because you and I together are going to go out and say, come and see. Come, come and see. Uh, this church, they're doing the gospel according to cash. I don't even know what that means. Just tell them that. You know. I know. I promise you. I'm getting, I've already started preparing for it. But what an incredible opportunity. But this is not about, our, let me tell you this. Over the next four weeks, the music in here is going to rock your face off. It's not going to be a country music series. I promise you. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But we have to be a come and see people. Therefore, 
as they say in logic class, ergo. I want you to look, if you're sitting on the corner of your row, look underneath your row, right down there, there's a white bag that has these invitation pieces on it. You know what this is? This is a come and see. I'm asking every single one of you to please take three of these right now and invite somebody to come and see. Step outside of your comfort zone and say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Now, you know, if you've been around here for about 15 minutes, you know that we're not going to preach about Johnny Cash. When I said tag team evangelism, I mean we are a team. You bring somebody, I promise you, they will meet Jesus Christ. They will be introduced to him. And what happens after that point is up to the Holy Spirit of God. But he uses you and me to invite people to come and see. We have to be a come and see people. I love it. People who don't know come here from Sikkim will ask me from time to time, are y'all a seeker church? You look them dead in the eye and go, you bet you're bippy. We are a seeker church because we follow a seeker God. We are a seeker church because we follow a seeker God. Jesus Christ said, I came to seek and to save those like Zacchaeus who were lost. Even in the Old Testament, the idea of God's mercy, of his loving kindness, the word chesed, that's a great word, chesed. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's a great word. It means loving kindness. God's loving kindness is not passive. God's loving kindness is not just like, here it is. God's loving kindness pursues people. God's loving kindness, if you're a Christ follower, God's loving kindness pursued and pursues you. At some point, somebody said to you, come and see. Come and see. The woman at the well got it. This is who we are. This is what we do as a church family because we follow a come and see God. You see, you refill life on tap through sharing. You refill life on tap through sharing it. Now that's completely counterintuitive. Here I have a little bottle of water. All right? There's less in that bottle than there was just a minute ago. But when you share life on tap with people, you are then refilled with the living water. That's how God operates. Let me tell you something. When you share life on tap with another human being, you will never be the same. You see, if you just come to church to sit and to soak, it's all about you. But when you say, come and see, then all of a sudden your worship takes on a different dimension. It takes on a different magnitude of significance and importance. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You see, worshiping in spirit and in truth matters. Showing up to church on time and not distracting other people and disrupting a worship service matters. Because it's about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You know, some churches, when I was growing up we, at our church, we had a deal where visitors had to put like a ribbon on their, on their coat lapel because we wore suits. God had not entered that yet. But, you know, so we, we, we marked visitors with, with a you know, little sticker on their suit. You know how we tell visitors here at Lake Hills Church? 
They're on time. Those are, ah, that was funny. Come on, that's a joke. You've never heard of a joke? But we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we refill life on tap in our lives by sharing it with other people. It's not about us. We've been given life on tap in order to give it away. That's how God operates. That's when it gets fun. Now, the conversation continues. Now, what's really funny to me, again, is the disciples. And I, I love that they're here because they're, they're, when they walk back up, they, they don't ask. The Bible says they were afraid to ask Jesus what he was doing talking to this woman at the well. So they just started talking about something else. Like, you know, how about those longhorns? They, they were like, what's going on? Did, did, and so they said, uh, Jesus, would you like something to eat? We brought you a sandwich. And Jesus, again, takes the common to communicate the extraordinary. Look at what he says, verse 32. Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. And so then the disciples kind of just started going, well, did somebody bring him food? That was going to be our job. We said we were going to bring him something. Why do you eat something if we said we were going to bring something? He goes, no, 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 I have a different kind of food you know nothing about. Verse 34, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say to you, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Jesus says, listen, we got work to do. We got work to do. If you go to church somewhere and you think, oh, it's cool, the lights are on, my kids are taken care of, okay, cool, this is, we've got work to do. Our community, the fields are ripe for harvest. But how can they believe if they never hear? If nobody ever says to them, come and see, come and check this out. I, I want to I share with you something so great that has so enhanced and deepened and enriched my life. Come and see. A lot of times people, people ask me, go, man, what's the will of God? What's God's will for my life? We're praying, should we move to Dallas? No. We're praying, should, you know, what, what's, what's God's will? I tease because I care. Dallas is awesome. But, but, fact of the matter is doing the will of God is why we're here. What did Jesus say? My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. You, you want to taste life on tap? You want to enjoy and savor it? Here's, here's the way you do that. You taste life on tap through obedience. You taste life on tap through obedience to what God has already shown us in the word. What he's already told us, this is how you live. That this is what it looks like to follow me. That's how you taste life on tap. You see, a lot of times we equate life on tap or discipleship or spiritual maturity by attending another Bible study 
by showing up at multiple churches, conferences, podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Listen, all of those things in and of themselves are good and can be helpful. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're in three Bible studies, you're wasting time somewhere. If you're in three Bible studies and you have a job and you have a family and you have friends and you have to work out, when do you have time to do what you're studying? Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again for you to know more stuff. He died on the cross and rose again and gave his life for you and invited you into a relationship with him so we would do the will of God. Do what he's already shown us we need to do. I get a little fired up. But tasting life on tap happens through obedience. And that obedience breeds obedience in our lives, out of our lives. This is how you know that you grow, is that you're doing the will of God. You are a come and see person. You are a person of humility and gentleness with the people around you. You look at people in your life as Jesus looks at the people in your life. Every relationship we have is a divine appointment. Every relationship we have is a divine appointment. And every single one of us knows people who don't yet know how much God loves them. We all have relationships with folks that don't yet realize the extravagant love of God. And those are the people that God has deliberately and sovereignly placed in our lives for you and me to say to them, come and see. We taste life on tap through obedience. Verse 39 through 42. Check this out just real quickly, but it's so great. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. People like Jesus. People like Jesus. Whoever that is on the phone, they would like Jesus. Yes. I'm teasing. I used to get mad at phones going off in church because it, it, it irritated me and I was immature. I'm not mad right now, so don't apologize. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> don't apologize and turn it off. So <laughs> they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the Savior of the world. Something happened in that woman's life. Something changed and was different. And the people around her took notice. Again, think about living in a small town, having a horrible reputation. And people went, man, if this Jesus thing worked in her life, I want to come and see. You see, we multiply life on tap through our relationships. We multiply life on tap through relationships, through the people that we know, the people we work with, the people we live with. 
people we work out with, people in our neighborhood, in our schools. Every relationship you have is a divine appointment that God can use for life on tap in their life and, by the way, in ours. In ours. That's when it starts to get really, really fun. When you see that life on tap multiplying, when you see that life on tap and people change, it's fascinating, isn't it, that God would use this Samaritan woman with a terrible reputation and a horrible brokenness in her life. And yet it is exactly at that point of brokenness and horrible reputation that Jesus turns everything around, that Jesus flipped the script. I want you to think about that today. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you think about what God thinks about you, the truth is, the reality is, he is the Messiah. And he loves you. And he has more for you. And maybe for you, this is the day where you leave your water jar. That the thing in your life or the relationship or relationships that you've been carrying around hoping would, would satisfy and quench a thirst within you soul deep. Maybe today is the day that you set down that water jar and come and see. Come and see that he's good. That he forgives that he is all-powerful, that no matter what happens, he is the Messiah. He's the promised one. And his water will cause you to never thirst again. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment, please. And in this moment, I want to ask you to not be moving or stirring or make sure your phones are turned off, please. Because this is sacred ground that we're on. Because right now, God's moving in people's lives. And again, thank you for protecting this moment, those of you who are. I thank you. Because this matters more than anything else on the planet. If that's you today, if this is your moment, then it's very simple. It requires everything. Now, that's not easy, but it's simple. It is surrendering everything to Jesus. It's a prayer of beginning a relationship, a prayer of commitment and confession. If that's you today and you've never done that, but God's leading you to it, then I just invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just say, Jesus, silently, just talk to him right now. Just say, Jesus, I need you. 
I give you my life, all of it, in exchange for your life. I confess my sin. You know it all already. Holding nothing back, I claim your forgiveness, all of it. And I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me you rose again for me and I give you my life in response to your grace initiative to follow you from this moment forward Jesus I pray this prayer in your name I want to ask you just to remain seated and still for a moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, that's awesome. That's the most significant, most important moment of your life. And you need to, you need to mark that moment. Because I can tell you this, there will come another moment, maybe a few days or weeks or years from now, but there'll come another moment where you will, where you will wonder, was that real? And I want you to remember, it was real. September the 28th, 2014, I gave Jesus my life. And so, I want to invite you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed to, to mark this moment and just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand up high over your head for just a moment. And as you hold your hand up, you're marking this moment. You're saying by your hand in the air, this is real. This happened. And as you hold your hands up, I want you to know that we want to be a family of faith for you place to belong, a place to grow in your faith, to discover what God has for you going forward. We're not a perfect family by any stretch, but we want to be a family for you. This moment matters so much. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates. And so since we are attempting to follow God as you put your hands down we like to put our hands together to tell you welcome home isn't that awesome I mean, that never gets old that's why we're here that's who we are and that's what we do